Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The holidays can be stressful, and it's important for us to consider not what we give this Christmas, but who we are this Christmas. This message continues Pastor Chad Gilligan's series called Christmas Presents. Okay, true confession, just to, just to kind of start out. I, I grew up in the, I'm in my early 40s, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I had all the Star Wars toys. So I'm kind of, what's the, what's the official biblical term? It's like geeking out over the, you know, the whole new movie. But I haven't seen it yet. And so I'm steering clear of those who have seen it because I don't want you telling me anything about it because I want to I wanna experience it for myself. You can thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. But if you've seen it, and I'm, I'm going to guess a lot of people have, I don't want to hear about it because then you spoil it for me. Okay? And then I'd be angry and bitter with you, and then I'd have to preach my own sermons, and that's not good. However, I want to spoil this sermon for you, okay, where we're about to go today with this message. Um, I've never heard a, a Christmas sermon like this. And if, if you're here today hoping to feel good about peace on earth and joy to the world and all that, um, it's going to take us about 40 minutes to get there, okay? <laughs> because we're going to talk about some stuff today that, just to be quite honest, is not the the peace on earth stuff. We're gonna come at Christmas from a little bit of a different direction today. But from what I saw in the first service, I guarantee you, for some of you, these next few moments, devoid of maybe some joy, are exactly what you need to hear if you're gonna have joy this Christmas. And so, Father, we come to you, and we ask that in these next few moments, by your word and by your spirit, would you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. He was a good man. I mean, I don't think anybody would deny it. I mean, the, what we know about him um, from history would show that he was honorable, he was noble, he was hardworking, and just like most guys are at his age and his season of life, he had it all mapped out. He knew what the rest of his life would look like. He was engaged she was not only beautiful, but she was, um, she was a godly woman. Everyone recognized her for who she was. I mean, everyone recognized her for um, just the character that was in her heart. So with dreams ahead of a beautiful future, with a beautiful wife, he had a great job. He knew what he wanted. And in one fell swoop, the whole thing came crashing down because she came and said, hey, I'm pregnant. And he said, I know that's not my baby. There's no way that's my baby. Because as far as I know, she's a virgin. So all of a sudden, all his dreams fell apart. And Joseph, as he's about to break off his engagement with Mary, has this visit from an angel. And the angel comes and tells him what God told the angel to tell him. He said, look, Joseph, don't check out on Mary. Look, I'm behind all of this, so you make her your wife. You, you welcome her into the home. You take this child that she's carrying, because it's from me, so you take this baby and you, you make him your own son because I have a plan for this baby. That's what the angel told him. What the angel didn't tell him was, by the way, Joe, the baby's gonna come at the worst possible time. 
See, you're gonna be forced by the emperor to go back to where your ancestors are from in Bethlehem. When you get there, there's not gonna be any place to stay, and then the baby's gonna come at the worst possible time. It's what we biblically refer to as Murphy's Law, right? And then Joseph, once you kind of get used to this dad thing a little bit, he'll start sleeping through the night. Then the crazy king is gonna wanna kill all the boys, and you're gonna have to run for your life. Dude, you're gonna have to be a refugee. You're gonna have to go to Egypt, where you don't know anybody, where you don't have anything. I know it doesn't seem like your plans, Joseph. I know it's not what your dreams were, Joe, but this is how it's gonna go. Everything you wanted is gonna crumble in front of you. It's gonna fall apart. Merry Christmas. Christmas is a time where for many of us, from the very first story, what's highlighted for us is the things in our lives that haven't gone right. The places in our lives where we've experienced disappointment. Those things that if we're not careful will come inside of us and affect us in a very, very deep way from one of the lead characters of that very first Christmas story. How do you deal with that when you're Joseph? How do you deal with that when everything you thought you wanted in life in one fell swoop from God himself, thank you very much, is, is just, it disintegrates in, in front of your very eyes. What do you do with that? You know, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians this year, and, and um, I think it's very interesting how God in his sovereignty has timely brought us to a really interesting passage in the book of Ephesians just before Christmas. He's mapped this out so that we're looking at something that actually is a little internal before we get to this eternal joy that we're talking about. So we're in a series of messages called Christmas Presents. Here's the idea that you consider not just your presence this Christmas, but your presence this Christmas. Not just that, that thing that you present to someone, but your presence, who you are, who God is inside of you. This Christmas is not about what you give, but about how you live. And as we've talked about this, last week we hit the subject of anger. And anger forces us, and, and Paul actually does this as you go further down. Like we looked at verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4. And then when you get down to verses 31 and 32, Paul uses a whole other word to express what anger looks like to us. And he uses the word bitterness. And today, Merry Christmas, I want to talk about bitterness. I want to look at it from three different angles today. Here's the first one. I want to talk today about the reason for bitterness. I want to talk to you today for a few moments just about the reason of bitterness. Why do we experience it? How does it come into our lives? What, what does it look like? Because Paul is not just talking about the anger that's in the moment, which we have. I don't know, for me, and maybe this is just true confession for you too much, I, I think of it so many times as parking lot anger. You know, it's that moment where somebody steals your parking space or they cut you off or there's, that, there's just that moment of ah, kind of that, that road rage. And we have that in so many different ways. We talked about that last week. Bitterness, though, man, it's like, it's like that momentary rush of emotion that somehow gets seated deeper inside of us. What's the reason for bitterness? Look at what Paul says, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now here's what we looked at last week. Look, if you're angry, deal with it in the present. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it set. Don't let it settle in you. Here's why. Not just because you don't want to blow it in the moment, but because you don't want to take uh, residence in your heart. Because if you let it go on one day, if you let the sun go down while you're angry today, you probably won't deal with it tomorrow either. Probably not the next day. And then eventually it takes up residence in your heart. Here's what bitterness is bitterness is anger internalized. 
Bitterness is anger internalized. When I take that bitterness, that anger, and I, and I make it at home in my life, the truth is this. When we allow anger to take residence in our hearts, it leads to bitterness. When we allow anger to take residence in our hearts, it leads to bitterness. So where, um, where does it come from? Here's why I think this is such a timely message that, that God's allowed us to have today. Because isn't this a scrawny looking little Christmas tree? It's just, it's not, it's not all that impressive. But odds are that somehow at Christmas, some of this, uh, some of this bitterness thought just kind of crops up in our hearts. Because of interaction that we have with other people or things that we see along the way, it's, it's a perfect time where we're deep kind of in the heart of our Christmas, in that dark little place, there's these things that cause us to, to focus on or experience or go back to some places of bitterness. In fact, you know, you may have somewhere in your emotional experience kind of, you know, we, we've got all kinds of Christmas decorations that, that I think multiply in our garage all summer long in, in these little tubs like this. And for some of you, Christmas is a time where you start to, to pull some of those things out and uh, maybe even almost decorate your life with them at the Christmas season. Here's, here's, a, here's a good one maybe we can start with. This one's disappointment. Anybody ever been disappointed? And what happens is we, we take those things and we, we kind of we actually define our lives by them a little bit. We, we decorate ourselves with them just a little bit at times like this. Um, here's a good one. Uh, always certain to make a, um, an appearance at grandma's on Christmas Day. How about unresolved conflict? Well, there's an awkward moment. Oh, good, they're here, right? You know what I'm talking about? Unresolved conflict. What else do we have? Uh, what else do we have in here to take a look at? Oh, here's a good one that shows up and can make us bitter. How about frustration? Those things that just have never seemed to go right in our lives and affect us in different ways. Uh, let's see. Oh, broken promises. Broken promises are a place where when we think of how people said things to us and then they didn't hold up on their word, it causes that bitterness to grow inside of us in different ways. We've got um, um, friends. Friends sometimes are a source of our bitterness or maybe former friends or when people did us wrong in some way and we think about friendships that we've lost. Here's two of the perfect places that if you, uh, if you wanna experience bitterness in some way or another, if you stick around either one of these places, you're gonna experience it sooner rather than later. How about family and church for bitterness? Aren't those great places? And a lot of that's at Christmas. Look, those are the places where, where maybe we've had um, disappointment with people, things that have been said, things that have been done to us, and then we carry those things for a long time. In fact, for some of us, we literally, and boy, does it come out of Christmas, we, we kind of decorate our lives with these things when we come to this time of year. Um, what else do we have over here in our, in our bucket? We've got uh, violated rights. That wasn't fair. They didn't treat me right. I have the right to this, or I deserve that. And that leads to places of bitterness in our lives. Um, here, here's a good one. Unrealistic expectations that we have of other people. We better put that one up at the top, right? Unrealistic expectations. And if you do it like that, it kind of looks like the Grinch's tree a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of fitting. Um, cynicism. I think cynicism is kind of a root of, of where bitterness even starts in our lives. Because when I kind of get, not, not just sarcastic, not just little... Uh, funny, but when I get cynical about things, when I'm skeptical of everybody and everything, that often leads to bitterness. 
Um, work is a great place to get bitter, isn't it? Unless you work at Calvary. <laughs> Said everyone who works at Calvary. Let's put this one right here. What do we got? One left here? Um, let's see. And, and you know what? This is, this is a big one that shows up at Christmas. And I, and I think it forces a lot of people to kind of struggle sometimes with just loss. Loss of a loved one. Loss of a dream. Things that show up and, and um, to be quite honest, we use some of those things and then we just, we begin to kind of decorate our lives with them. If we're not careful, they'll make us blue. Become, no, 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 that wasn't the point. It becomes the reason for our bitterness. So what happens if, if you're kind of decorating your life with these things? Scripture talks to us about bitterness, uses, I, I think, some, some cool statements that we can make some analogies out of and look at what happens in our, in our lives. Let me give you three results of bitterness today. And here's, here's what I would challenge you to do. We've talked about where it comes from, what are the reasons for bitterness. Let's talk about results for a moment. And as we talk about this, it's a good chance for you to look inside. Because if I had asked you out in the atrium before you came in, hey, are you a bitter person? You'd be like, no, it's Christmas, man. But if we think about it, there's some things that, that, that this may begin to highlight for us. And this may, this may hit a little closer to home than we know. First is this, listen to how Paul talks about the ramifications of bitterness. What are the results? Ephesians chapter four, verse 27. We looked at this last week. He said, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. What's that word foothold mean? It means like, don't give him space. Don't give him any place in your life. Don't give him some place where he can, uh, where he can call home. Because what happens is with anger, it pushes the devil uh, in and it pushes God out. With anger, we make place for the devil to come in. We, get, we give the devil a foothold, it says. And as a result, we're pushing God out of our lives. So we looked last week that that, that kind of anger destroys relationships. It robs us of God's blessings. It keeps God's good things from coming in when us, in our anger, and in particular in our bitterness, because we've held on to it overnight, like Paul talked about, we've, we've let it take residence in our hearts, then we've pushed God out and we give space for the devil to move in. We give space for bitterness to move in. Here's the first result of bitterness. Number one, bitterness is a bad house house guest. Bitterness is a bad house guest. Now, this may be the wrong thing to ask on the weekend before Christmas, because some of you have house guests right now, but how many of you have ever had a bad house guest? You ever had somebody kind of come and stay, and you were sorry they did? Maybe it's that deal where you're like, yeah, you can, you can crash on my couch overnight, and three months later, they're still crashing? They're bad house guests. Why is that a big deal? Well, one reason that's a big deal is because a, a bad house guest does this and bitterness does it too. It invades your space. It comes right in to places in your life where, where at some point you really don't want them where they're not invited and it invades your space in that way. Have you ever had a thought, not a good thought, but maybe even a, a, a negative thought, let's call it a bitter thought towards someone that you've had a hard time getting out of your head? You keep coming back to it. In fact, it may be the first thing for whatever reason that crosses your mind in the morning. It invades your space. You revisit that thought or that wrong over and over again. And just like a bad house guest, it starts to take over where you live. You go to sit down on the couch and there they are right next to you and they haven't showered. <laughs> they get in every part of your life. What's funny about that is at the beginning, that thought it tastes sweet. That's why, we, that's why we entertain bitterness. 
Because in the moment, it's awesome. Because you think about how wrong they were and how right you were. It feels good to be offended at first. But that sweet taste disappears. That's why we call it bitter. It not only invades your space, but it drains your resources. And that person sitting on your couch is eating your food and watching your TV and you're missing your shows because they're invading your space and draining your resources. You find yourself, if you're not careful, in a relationship with bitterness that you never wanted to be committed to, but you're far more committed than you thought you were. And it causes you to think about things that have nothing to do with your future, but you're focused on on the things of your past. It invades your space, it drains your resources, and it, it leaves a mess. It leaves a mess. You walk through your house and you're like, well, they were there and they were there and they were there. I had, I had friends in college that this was the deal, right? I mean, it seemed like every time my mom would send a care package, sometimes she sent something with cookies and goodies and all this kind of stuff. Like those guys, those vultures instinctively knew it was there. And they came in uninvited and they're sprawled out on the bed, sitting on the floor, eating my mom's cookies. I didn't want them there. And then when they left, who cleaned it all up? Me? Bitterness leaves a mess. You're always cleaning something up. And let me encourage you with this. I think this is big. Know this. When, when it's not just you when you're bitter, but bitter people around you leave a mess in your life. Because when you're hanging out with bitter people, it creates bitterness inside of you. And that's really key. See, I think the enemy knows this. I think the enemy knows how to exploit our hurts and our pains. And in the places where we have hurts and pains, he loves to couple us up with other bitter people because bitterness creates bitterness. And you weren't so bitter until you got around that bitter person who helped you to see how bitter you should be and now you're really bitter. Leaves a mess in your life. Bitterness is a bad house guest. Here's the second thing we see about about bitterness. James, in in his letter to the church, writes something very unique to the church. He's talking to them about where they can find godly wisdom. And in the midst of that, he takes them to this thought. James chapter four, verse 13. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy, that's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians four. In James four, James uses it. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's a powerful passage of scripture. And if you look at what he's saying here, it tells us this. It tells us, number two, that bitterness is a thief. Bitterness is a thief. It comes in and takes things that belong to you for its own. One thing you see is that it steals your identity. Bitterness steals your identity. Have you ever been around somebody and with they're with them, when you're with them, you walk away and then you go, that person is bitter. They are a bitter person. Just like, how did they get to be so grumpy or so mean or just so, there's, 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 this, there's this just nastiness about them. They're a bitter person. And bitterness, if you let it, will change your identity. That's why James said at the beginning of that verse, he says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. What he's saying there is you can let that bitterness, that selfishness, that evil ambition come in and define who you are. It steals your identity. It becomes your persona. And you become known based on what you're bitter about. Maybe not to other people, but especially to yourself. See, it becomes your purpose. It drives who you are, and it steals your identity. It becomes a lifestyle. Some of us 
have, have been so wounded, offended, hurt, done wrong, that we tell the same stories over and over and over again. Some of you will hear the same story about what went wrong in 1957 with Aunt Gertrude around the tree again on Friday. And that bitterness just kind of settles in. It becomes who we are. It not only steals your identity, but, but track with me on this for a minute. It steals your heaven, I think. And, and I don't mean heaven necessarily in the sense of your eternal heaven, although bitterness is a sin. But did you see what James says here? He says, look, there is wisdom that comes from heaven. There are heavenly things God wants to bring. But this kind of wisdom, this bitterness is not it. He says this bitterness is earthly, it is unspiritual, and here's a word for you, it's demonic. It's not from heaven, in fact, it's stealing things that God wants you to experience from heaven, from your lives. It takes that from us. It's ungodly and demonic, he says. It creates a resistance to positive change in our lives. When we want to change, when we want to follow God into good things, that bitterness will hold us back and keep it from us because it's easy for me to focus on what's wrong with you when I'm bitter instead of thinking of what God might want to do in my life. And here's probably the worst part about, about bitterness being a thief, is that it steals your peace, especially at Christmas. It steals your peace. What does James say at the end of that? He says that where that selfish ambition is and, and, and those, those, those evil practices, he says it brings disorder and every evil work. The King James says it brings confusion. And where there's confusion and disorder, there is no peace. You ever had bitterness in your life that you just keep coming back to and it leaves you uneasy? It leaves you unsettled? It leaves you in a place where you just can't with that person, with that situation, with that thought, because of that church, because of that family member, that work situation, it leaves you without peace in your life. Bitterness steals that from us. It is a thief. And one of that thief's greatest uh, accomplices, I think, is social media these days. It, it, it forces us at times, and I'm not, I'm not anti-social media. I use it. I appreciate it. I think it's a powerful tool. But you better be careful how you let it affect your thoughts. Because when you spend all that time thinking about what other people have and you don't, it can bring some bitterness in, right? And when Facebook asks you what's on your mind, it might be a good idea not to tell them. <laughs> some of what's on your mind should not be on the internet, amen? First of all, I don't care what you had for lunch. Second of all, <laughs> that's, that's not, I mean, if it's good, but I mean, it's just, uh, you're saying things that you might not ever say to somebody in public that it's easy for you to vent in that place. And we'll talk about how that affects you later. I read a story about a guy who went back to Sicily and was visiting the ancestral village of his father. And while he was there, he noticed that every day there was this elderly lady who really physically struggled, who would walk every day from her home with a cane, just kind of at the, the pace of a tortoise, and she would walk every day from her home to the cemetery and back, rain or shine, he wondered, why is that such a, a commitment for her? He clocked her one day to kind of figure it out. That trip for her to really do it at, at her pace and what she had to do along the way, it would take six hours out of her day to make that trip every day. Her house to the cemetery and back. And so one day he said, why does she do that? He asked some of the locals. He said, what's, what's the story there? Did she lose a child that's at the cemetery? They're like, no. Was it her spouse that she loved so much who passed away? They said, No. You know who's buried in that cemetery? Her arch enemy, the lady that she hated. And so every day, she walks from her house to the cemetery 
just to spit on her grave. That's bitterness. And it steals your peace. Here's a, here's a third thing we see about bitterness. The author of Hebrews says this. Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, look at what he, the, the word he uses to describe bitterness here, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is a root. Number three, bitterness is a root. Any of you ever tried to remove a, a, a shrub or a tree from your house? What's your favorite part? It's the roots, isn't it? Oh, it's awesome. You get to tug and pull, and you get to try not to cuss. I mean, it's just an amazing experience when you do that. Why? Because it's work. That root gets in there, and it gets settled in there. Here's the first thing you see about a root. Number one, it's stubborn. It's stubborn. When bitterness gets in your heart, if you allow it to take root, you have a hard time getting away from it. What's the answer? You kind of have to hack away at that thing, don't you? You have to dig away. It doesn't just, if it's had any time to establish itself, it does not just easily get removed. The longer I hold on to it, the harder it is for me to deal with it. Before we get to the, the, the remainder of this message, for some of you, that's, that's, that's really key for you to hear. The longer you hold on to it, the harder it is for you to deal with it. Did anybody kind of grow up, or even it's in, 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 in uh, reruns a lot now, anybody ever watch Little House on the Prairie? You ever seen that show? A lot of people, and some of the guys are like, yeah, but I ain't saying it. You know, so, all right, Little House on the Prairie, you've seen it. So the story of those, what's their name, the Ingalls, and they go and they get a little house on the prairie somewhere, and... Uh, that's how it works out. And there was, one, there was one girl in the story. There was this one character. She, I think her dad ran the store or something, and she was just mean to Laura all the time. What was her name? Natalie. Boy, you sure knew that fast enough, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're talking about bitterness here today, friends. Listen to this. Allison Arngrim played Nellie on Little House on the Prairie, and she continued to be an actress, um, but that was the role that defined her, how on a weekly basis she tortured sweet Laura Ingalls. Do you remember that? She was at this uh, event recently at the Los Angeles County Fairgrounds, and it was all these child actors who had come together now as adults, and, and people could come and meet them and sign autographs and all that business. And she does those kinds of things quite often. And she was sitting at a table. It was a long day signing autographs for people, and this woman came up and just stood at the table, looked at her. She reached out with a smile to take like a photo or a paper or something so she could sign and give an autograph, and the lady didn't have anything. The lady just stood there staring at her awkwardly. And the longer she stood there, the more her breathing became kind of erratic. And, and Nellie says that she literally looked up and saw this woman turning different colors of red and purple. Freaking her out, by the way. Here's what the article says. Allison and her husband grew increasingly uncomfortable and were close to calling for security when the angry woman broke the silence with three labored words. She looked at Nellie and said, I forgive you. And just like that, she exhaled, turned, and exited the tent. Allison says this kind of thing happens fairly often. She'd never met this woman. They had never exchanged a single word before meeting at the fair that day, but this angry stranger at the L.A. County Fairgrounds had carried a seething, consuming grudge against a character on a TV show that had not aired in 30 years. Nellie had never bullied her, had never lived in her neighborhood. Nellie had never even existed. <laughs> but after 30 long years of carrying the burden of this hatred, 
She needed to lay it down and walk away. And sister, I think you might need to too because you, you gave me her name <laughs> awful quickly there. Bitterness is a stubborn thing. If it takes root, it not only grabs hold of you, but here's another thing, it is trouble. That root of bitterness is trouble. It goes with you, it grows with you, and it creates more and more trouble. That's why if you don't deal with bitterness, you bring it into your friendships, you bring it into your family, you bring it into your church if you don't deal with it. We, the home we used to live in had, had a kind of a drainage issue, and sometimes we would get stuff that would back up in the basement drain, and the reason was because there were roots that were out in the, um, in the, in the yard from a tree that had worked their way into the drainage system, and every so often we'd have to have it you know, done so that it would be cleared out again because those roots would continue to grow, and over and over again they would cause trouble. That's what bitterness does in our heart. It is stubborn, it is trouble, and it spreads. Bitterness is a root that will spread in your life if you're not careful. Have you, ever, have you ever seen how the Grinch stole Christmas? Isn't that a pretty powerful picture of bitterness and how it will spread and it will destroy things, not just for you, but for a lot of people. You know, I spent the first nine years in, in ministry as a children's pastor, six of them here at Calvary, and um, it was interesting. I could, I could tell what a parent thought about me by the way their child treated me. So if the parent liked me, you'd, you'd see that in the life of the child. If the parent wasn't that crazy about me, you could see that by the way that the parent, uh, by the way that the child treated me. And some of you are kind of nervous right now because I'm on to you. I am on to you, okay? But I'm not bitter. So here's how this works. Your attitudes, the things that are in your heart are not just you, they spread. And parents, they affect your kids and it gets into your workplace, and it gets into your home, that bitterness is a root that affects a whole lot more than just you. And the longer you hold on to it, the deeper it goes. That's the result of bitterness. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish, right? So where does this go? Okay, third thing about bitterness today. I wanna give you three remedies for bitterness. How do you deal with it then? How, how, do you, how do you interact with this? Because Paul gives this to us. He talks to us about this at the end of Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 and 32. He talks about this idea, if you have anger, because he, he tells you, put it off. Remember that we looked at it last week. If you have this anger, get rid of it. How do you do it? Ephesians 4, 31 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Here's the solution, here's the remedy. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you see what he's saying here? Scripture calls us to give to others what we have received from God. Scripture calls for us to give to others what we have already received from God. That's, that's the remedy for bitterness. So let me give it to you in three ways. And in the first two, I think are really key if you're dealing with a bitter person, because odds are you, you probably will. I was, I was with a, a group of, um, there were five of us sitting around the table this week for breakfast one day, and as we were talking about, I was asking them some questions about this idea of bitterness, and as we were sitting there talking, three of the five of us, actually, um, <laughs> actually, I, I didn't know it until later, four of the five of us, because I'm talking about myself, actually, so, um, so can I just confess a couple of things? Is there a couch somewhere that I can just lay down for a minute? Okay, so four of the five of us 
either in the past or this year are dealing with it at our families this Christmas. So if I'm gonna think that this isn't relevant, I'm just kidding myself. So what do you do if you're interacting with a bitter person in some way? Okay, here's the first thing, remedy for bitterness. Number one, the remedy for bitterness is kindness. Paul says be kind and compassionate to one another. So the remedy for bitterness is kindness. It's not always easy, but it's the reality. If you're dealing with a bitter person, try kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is treating another person in the way you would wanna be treated. Kinda sounds like something you'd expect to hear down in the the preschool ministry at Calvary. The reason we have to bring it up here is because it didn't stick for some of you when you were down there. (laughs) Kindness, I I just thought of that, I shouldn't have said it. Kindness is treating (laughs) another person in in the way you would want to be treated. So when you're interacting with that bitter person, instead of responding in the way that you think they deserve, well, they weren't kind to me, they weren't nice to me, they're bitter, they're angry, instead of giving it back to them, because isn't that our natural response? You give it to me, I'm gonna bounce it right back to you. Instead of doing that, think this question. How would I wanna be treated if I were that person? This is a question you need to ask yourself when you're face-to-face with Aunt Ethel. How would I want to be treated? If your name's Ethel, I'm so sorry. How would I want to be treated if I were this person? Because I want you to think about this, right? How you respond determines who you are. How you respond determines who you are, okay? So, so if, you're, if you're in front of an angry, bitter person and they're giving you that venom, that anger and that bitterness, if you respond with anger and bitterness back to them, what did you just become? <laughs> you just became an angry and bitter person. So how you respond is what you are. Now, you don't wanna be that, so what do you do? You respond with kindness. I know it feels counterintuitive, doesn't it? But how would you wanna be treated if you were that person? So instead of just giving them back what they deserve, what if we would respond with kindness? Now, I know this is, this is cheesy, but I heard it years ago, and it has stuck with me. When you come face-to-face with, with a situation like that, when you come face-to-face with disappointment, you have to ask yourself the question, do I wanna become bitter or do I wanna become better? There's a choice you have to make between bitter and better. And you know what the difference is between bitter and better? I one letter, one person, I. I am the difference between bitter and better. So choose kindness, and then drill down just a little bit deeper. Here's the second remedy for bitterness. Number two, the remedy for bitterness is compassion. The remedy for bitterness is compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is responding to another with sympathy and concern. Not just thinking about yourself, But what's it like to be that person? Sure, they're bitter. Sure, it's inappropriate. I can't excuse that, but I may be able to explain it. I may be able to understand a little bit more about them, and that'll help me to know how to respond to them. Here's a question. What would it be like to be in this person's situation? If I'd experienced what they've experienced, if my tree looked like theirs, would that give me a little bit of compassion to understand who they are and what they're going through? What would it be like if I were in that person's situation. And, and here's just a, an aside, this part's free. Okay, so people in the parking lot that do me wrong, I, I, I typically am inclined to, I, not anymore because I'm a senior pastor, this doesn't happen anymore, but in the past, I was inclined to, to respond with anger, kind of that short burst of, um, man, I was done wrong. But people in my family, people in my, my friend's circle, people, people in the church, people that I know, when I'm done wrong by them, I'm more inclined not for anger but bitterness. 
Because if I, if, if, I, if I know that, sometimes I'm more inclined not to see it with compassion. Does that make sense? It's easier for me to harbor things against those sometimes that should be closer to me than the guy that just stole my parking spot. Compassion is a remedy for bitterness. But I, I, I want to wrap up not talking about somebody else. I want to wrap up talking about you. What if when I talked about a bad house guest and about a thief and about a root, you said, ouch, there's something more in me than what I like. What do I do? Number three, the, the remedy for bitterness is forgiveness. Number three, the remedy for bitterness is forgiveness. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's the first thing we see about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a command. He didn't say if you feel like it. He just said do it. Have you ever really felt like forgiveness? <laughs> forgiveness isn't necessarily a warm fuzzy. It feels like actually like I'm losing when I ask for forgiveness. Because I'm saying in that moment, um, it's, it's kind of hard for me to do this, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this thing go. This thing that I was able to hold against you, I'm gonna let it go. But Paul says, look, it's a command. The mature person is the one who goes first, and forgiveness is something that we must choose whether we feel like it or not. You have to choose to not let that bitterness define you, but to offer that forgiveness. So forgiveness is a command, and here's where forgiveness gets really sticky. Forgiveness is given to the one in the wrong. Okay, forgiveness is given to the one in the wrong. That's the hard part, because I wanna win. But for me to, to, to give something, almost it feels like almost to give a win to you, Almost it feels like I'm letting you off the hook when I say, hey, I forgive you. I'm, I'm releasing that thing that I could hold over your head, but that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is given to the one who's in the wrong. It's the mature person, the one who, who wants to do what's right, who goes first in this process. So here's my challenge for you. It might be time to stop talking about how you were done wrong. It might be time to stop decorating your life with those things, to release that, that person or that church, or that decision that was made against you, it might be right for you in some way to express forgiveness to someone in this, in this Christmas season. And I, and I would challenge you with this. There's a couple of things that are key. Sometimes when you express forgiveness, you've got to realize that there were two of you in that relationship. And if you just go to them and you say, hey, Bob, I forgive you, it might also be important for you to go, and Bob, I'm going to ask that you forgive me. Because I, I was wrong in this situation too. That's true humility, that's true forgiveness. The other thing is this, when you have that conversation, don't do this, don't sit down you know, or send them an email or, or, uh, or have, a, have a phone call or this conversation over coffee and you go, man, I just want you to know I forgive you even though you did me so wrong, even though you hurt me in all these ways, even though you were wrong and I was right, I just want you to know, loser, that I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you. Because at the end, what do you wanna do? You don't wanna forgive, you wanna win. You're trying, to make your, you're trying to make your selfishness look spiritual. Dude, let it go. Forgive. Forgiveness is given to the one in the wrong. Here's why it's so important. Because forgiveness frees the one who gives it. Forgiveness frees the one who gives it. A friend reminded me of this saying, and it's kind of, it's kind of an old, familiar saying, but, but it's something that's key to remember when we talk about this. When you hold a grudge, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I'm gonna hold that grudge against you because somehow you think you're hurting that other person. You're actually taking that poison into yourself. 
Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And can I just help you with this? And I hope I'm not, I'm not meddling too much. But look, some of us have this thing that we're holding on to because we won't forgive. And then we transition in different seasons of our friendship, of our family, of our, of our church life, of, of just those seasons of life. And what we do, we hold on to it here and then we drag that thing with us into the next season. And then we drag that thing into the next season. Here's a principle that's true about life. How you leave one season determines how you enter into the next one. And so look, if you're gonna carry that bitterness with you from, from relationship to relationship, from church to church, from season to season, do you know what it does? It just, it just follows you at some point. You gotta free yourself from that thing and take care of it, leave it there. If you're taking that story with you, that pain with you from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas, it's only gonna haunt you, Grinch. <laughs> at some point, you gotta ask for forgiveness because the best gift that you could give to yourself this Christmas and probably to someone else is that gift of forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is what we all need from God. We give forgiveness just as in Christ God forgave us. How do you do it? How do you get past it all? Because what I don't wanna minimize for a moment is that some of you could... Um, could probably stack the tree on the White House lawn with enough frustration and disappointment and hurt and all kinds of reason to be bitter. What do you do? I think Joseph's response is a good example. How was he able to watch all of his dreams fall apart on that first Christmas and then be inconvenienced in so many ways, and then literally have to lose everything and run from his life for his life with a stigma over his family for the rest of his life that he didn't ask for and he didn't deserve. How did he do it? What was he able to focus on to make that happen? Matthew chapter one, verse, verse 20. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Listen to this. Because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, don't focus on how you've been done wrong. Focus on what I'm gonna do right here. Give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... Not God is against us. Not God is away from us. Not God has left us or God has done us wrong. It means God is with us. I think the reason Joseph was able to not let his bitterness define him was because he always kept out in front of him what it was really all about. And this Christmas, you could have every opportunity to, um, to focus on the wrong things. But let me challenge you, we find freedom when we focus on the Savior instead of ourselves. We find freedom, you'll find freedom this Christmas if you'll focus on the Savior instead of yourself. I, this, this isn't in the, in the notes, but I think some of you may, may clearly need to write it down because it doesn't get any, any more clear than this. This Christmas, here's what would make all the difference for you. If you would focus on what Jesus has done for you instead of focusing on what another has done to you. If you will focus on what Jesus has done for you instead of focusing on what someone else has done to you, it could make all the difference in freeing yourself this Christmas season.
So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up by by singing just a very familiar classic Christmas song. It just says, "Oh come, let us adore Him. Oh come, let us adore Him." To take our focus off of ourselves and onto our Savior. And in this moment, I don't know who or what it is, but if there's a place where bitterness has moved in and taken up residence in your heart, and you would say, God, this Christmas season, I need rest from that. I need to to let forgiveness come in and change that. I don't want it to rob me anymore. I don't want it to take root in my life. I need that freedom that can only come from the Savior. Then as we sing this song, would you do more than sing it? But would you let some kind of exchange take place in your heart? Beverly, would you lead us in this simple course? Oh, come let us adore him. And would you let the Holy Spirit just speak to your heart in this moment about what only he can do? Focus, sing that. closed, just want to ask you a really simple question. I told you this, this might not be a whole lot of fun, but if you'll let this Christmas message into your heart, it could change everything else about your Christmas this year. So, so here's the, here's the question just with, with all honesty, with all integrity, how many of you would say, God, I needed to hear this today. And I've let something take residence in me. I've let it rob me. I've let it take root inside of my heart. And I need the freedom from bitterness this season. God, would you do something in my life? If that's you, would you just just raise your hand? You raise your hand, put it right back down. God, I need your help. Yeah, man, wow. Anybody else? God, I need your help. Freedom from that bitterness this season. Lord, thanks that your, your word and your spirit know how to speak to us at just the right time and in just the right way. And so, Lord, I, I pray that your word would replace that root of bitterness and that it would take root deep in our lives. God, that you would bring freedom to those who need to hear it. God, I, I pray that as we respond with kindness and compassion this week, would your Holy Spirit give us the empowerment that only you can bring to do that? And Lord, for those of us who need freedom 
this Christmas from bitterness through forgiveness as we extend it, as we ask for it, as we live in it. Lord, I pray that you would bring that to our hearts. Now, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, that you'd send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.